Well, good morning. It's great to see each one of you here this morning. My name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. We're so glad that you are here with us this morning, especially if this is your very first time with us at Christ Community. Whether you've grown up in church your whole life or you're new to church, I know visiting a brand new church for the first time is not an easy thing to do. So thanks for doing that with us this morning, for being here. Um, Hopefully you felt a warm welcome uh, as you've been here with us this morning. And we have a, a special opportunity today uh, to hear from Pastor Stan Archie. So if you've been around Christ Community before, that is a name that's familiar. If you're not, though, let me give you a little introduction to Stan. So Stan is the uh, pastor of Christian Fellowship Baptist Church uh, at 45th and Truce in the Urban Core, and uh, we have been in a sister church relationship with Christian Fellowship for, uh, well, it's probably coming on two decades now, and so a long-standing relationship of serving together in the city and partner for that. But not only is Stan uh, a, a pastor, um, he's also a licensed counselor as well. And so even this morning as we, uh, you're going to hear me read this text, as we read a passage that talks about joy and anxiety, uh, Stan brings not only his pastoral lens to that, but also his his work as a professional counselor as well. And so um, Stan and I have been friends and co-laborers in the gospel here in Kansas City for many years. And so it's a delight to have him with us. And if you've, uh, again, if you've not had a chance to hear uh, Stan um, speak and teach God's word before, you will be blessed this morning. Um, by that. So I'm going to read our passage and then uh, Stan come and open God's word to us. So our scripture reading for today comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. That's on page 982 in your pew Bible. So those Bibles in front of you, you turn to page 982. We'll read Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 8. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, if you are new with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that one with you as a gift. Hear God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise God, it's good to see people. We pastors kind of thrive off of seeing somebody, especially black pastors, because we expect people to talk back to us when we're in the middle of of preaching. Um, uh, But it's great to see you guys, uh, and and I do want to emphasize and uh, just kind of consistently celebrate, especially during times like this, the things that we have gone through as a sister church relationship. Uh, I mean, we, uh, from, from... Rodney King to the Menendez brothers to all of those things that the world, the climate around us were battling with, uh, we uh, remain faithful and committed to uh, 
who we are united as, as a body of Christ. And that commitment uh, included us loving on each other at critical moments, us recognizing when one person's, uh, one group of people's experiences were different from the others, hearing the voices of each other, uh, being able, we, we had good fights against each other on a regular basis, but that never got in the way of how much we loved each other through the process. We saw those differences as obstacles we had to overcome and we continued to work together. Uh, Christ community was with, you know, I went through, I was involved with some, uh, some political stuff and uh, in an educational position and went through a bunch of slander and Christ community was not yes people. They came through and said, look, let's find out the truth. Let's investigate the situation. Let's get it together. But I always felt love and care and supported along the way until uh, exoneration took place and all those different kinds of things. But there was never a doubt that I had a friend that were walking with me and we had a friend as a church that were walking with us along the way. And I think that is what the gospel looks like when it's put into action. So I just appreciate the relationship that we have with one another. Now, you know, um, on the first service, I felt like I was... I had to be very loyal to the time because, you know, black people preach longer than white people, so. <laughs> but I get to let y'all have it because, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer and ask his blessings on our, on our time together. God, we just are grateful that you show us what we can't see through the Holy Spirit. You give us insight through relationships and through fellowships that we can't experience because of who we are individually, but we can enjoy collectively. You give us, Father, guidelines on how to live a life that is reflective of you and a relationship with you more than it is culturally relevant in this world. So those things are, are very strong advantages of being in a relationship with you and being in fellowship with each other. Right now, Lord, we ask that you let not the speaker stand in the way. Give me perfect health, logical progression of thought, insight into the word. Uh, most importantly, let your Holy Spirit be the guide in our discussion. And then let him also work significantly in us as individuals collective, uh, and collective families and a body overall to be able to take home what you have for us to learn today so that we can live in a way that praises you in all that we do. And we give you praise this morning in Christ's name. Amen. It was about 1988, I was 26 years old, and I was trying to sort of live out this whole Christian thing. I mean, I was making a big adjustment because I had come from a very difficult and challenging place. I was, uh, as a kid, abused in, in some very horrible ways. Uh, the years that my stepdad was in from... Uh, Really, from the time I was eight years old to the time I was 12, where I watched them commit suicide, the, the deception and all of the things drove me to be very untrusting of life and people. And so I ended up trusting the folks who I thought I could trust the most, which was a gang. And so I, started, I joined the gang and started doing all the gang street stuff that we did all that time. I, I grew up in a place of poverty where we didn't have as many choices. And then uh, at a racial disadvantage in our community because we didn't have all of the opportunities that humanity should have in America. Was beat up several times by police, uh, you know, for various things. And yes, I've had the knee on my neck and was rendered unconscious so that they could search my car uh, without getting permission. Uh, 
26, I was in a new marriage, and uh, so I had this wife. I didn't know what to do with her, you know. Just grateful that she accepted me. I had a kid, didn't know what to do with a kid. Nobody modeled those things for me. And in the middle of all of that, while I'm trying to change my life, the song came out by Bobby McFerrin, and it said, Don't worry, be happy. I thought that was an attractive recommendation. And so I got the words and the lyrics, and I wanted to figure out how do you pull that off? Because I couldn't just decide that I was going to not worry and be happy. The worry and unhappiness uh, uh, committee had a meeting without me involved and informed me of the outcome, and I was stuck with it. So I figured this don't worry and be happy would be something that I could pull off if I just understood what this guy was talking about. But the song didn't tell me anything. Didn't tell me anything of interest. And then I get into Christianity and I run into Paul's letter to the Philippians and I find that there's an interesting command of God found in Philippians chapter number four because it wasn't that much difference because he was telling me to, to, be, uh, uh, to rejoice always. So who rejoices always for real? Now, some people can put on a rejoice face, but, it, but it's not real. But who rejoices for real? And so I found out that as I dug more into what God had to say, that there is an avenue through which I can have the joy that God has to offer in spite of the dynamics that are happening around me. So I kind of want to share that with you today, uh, kind of let you know the secrets that were exposed to me through the Holy Spirit. And I want to start with the focus. And here's the general focus, and I'll give you five points to really help you understand what that track looks like. First thing is, you got to recognize that in order to experience God's joy in a complex world, then I must follow God's formula for joy. So joy doesn't just happen automatically. There has to be a, a formula in order to make it happen. And I think that, at least for me, I found the formula that works based on the guidelines that, that Paul is offering the Philippians at this point in the fourth chapter, beginning to chapter number four. So here's point number one. Point number one is this. He says, uh, it says, I must respond to the lordship of Christ. I must properly respond to the lordship of Christ. Now, here's the catch. When he says rejoice, he says rejoice always, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. He didn't just say rejoice always. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Now, what I started to think is rejoicing in the Lord always is different from rejoicing in the Savior always. Because uh, the Bible is so specific about names, I figured Paul used the Lord and not the Lord Jesus Christ, and not the Lord Savior, rejoice in the Lord. So I think he's really referring to the Lordship of Christ. I must rejoice in the Lordship of Christ always. And then he says, and I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Because some people probably say, what? And he said, rejoice. I'm going to say it again. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again. And let me, let me help you understand what he means when he says Lordship in this particular case. When he says rejoice in the Lordship, then what he's saying is, uh, let's suppose you have a GPS. Uh, global positioning, you know, if you're in the car system, and so it's in the car, and you're lost somewhere. The value of having that 
is that it gives you instructions on how to get away from where you are in spite of your perception and get to the destination that you're intended to be at. So it's a great thing. Even though you can't see everything that it's telling you to do, you can't see why it's a good idea, what's a good idea, you can't see any of that kind of stuff because it sits so much higher than you and sees so much further than you and has so much insight than you, then you can rejoice because even when it feels like you're lost, its instructions can guide you, okay? Not just having it in the car. It's great to have it, but if its instructions aren't guiding you, then you're not rejoicing in its lordship. God, Jesus Christ is the same way. We have something that the people I grew up didn't have. We have the instructions and guidance from God on how to navigate a complex world that we live in. And if I am always rejoicing in that, then I am treating that lordship in a unique and special way so that I am being guided by God in a complex world. It's my GPS. So, so number one is I have to allow God to guide me. Now, here's the tricky part. The way you allow God to guide you is to, uh, it, it's based on how you manage your free will choice. You know, we fight for freedom and we talk about freedom and all those different kinds of things. But really, God's view on freedom is, is interesting because your free will choice, when he gave them a free will choice, he really gave them multiple choices and there was two choices. And here's what they look like. Uh, Adam and Eve, he gave them two choices. The first one is, A, you can surrender your free will choice over to me and I will expose to you only good choices. In other words, I can say, God, I, just tell me where to go and I'll just go. That's what the GPS does. It's not discussing it with me. It's not giving me options. It's saying, go this way. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. Look, I'll put you in the garden. And I'll just give you a bunch of good choices and just don't choose B. If you choose B, B is I can expose you to all choices and you will have to decide the difference between good and evil. So it's not, you can't halfway do it. Well, God, give me some good things over here, but let me have free. No, no, no. You give me your free will choice, and I will be your guide, or you go and pick from everything that's out there and try to figure out what's right. And so that's the kind of the choice you have to make. Now, doesn't sound that difficult, but the more choices you have, the more challenges you have. And let me tell you why. Because the first choices he gave them, let's suppose if, if God gave us a, a multiple choice. He says, A, he gave them the right answer. The right answer is seven. And then he says, A is seven, and B is two. So the right answer is what? A, because it's seven. And I don't, it's not confusing because I don't have a lot to choose from. But if you increase my choices and it looks more like this, then it becomes a little more challenging. Now, the right answer didn't change. But when you gave me a whole bunch of other choices, then I was sucked into the illusion that I could that I could probably make a better choice. It's still just one right answer. Like God is God, that's it. Jesus is Lord, that's it. I mean, it's one right answer. But if you give me all these choices, then I get confused and a lot of times I begin to act like I might be able to make a better choice than what God is offering me. And that's the dilemma that we're in. Now, the other piece is when I'm making choices, what am I making choices about? What do I do with my free will? 
because I'm trying to fight off all of this cultural war that's out there around me. Well, he gives us an interesting dynamic here when we get to, let me see if I'm at the right page. He gives us an interesting dynamic as we move forward and begin to think a little bit more because the second thing that I need to think about is that I must always have a evangelical disposition, always have an evangelical disposition, because here's what he says. He says, let your gentleness, your kindness, and your tolerance be evident to all. He says, and here's why, because the Lord is near. Now, here's the frustration with that. My gentleness and kindness and tolerance, I don't want to give to everybody. I just want to give to the people I like. Like, I don't want to be kind to everyone. I just want to be kind to the people I like because I forget that it's not about me, that I'm a conduit through which God meets people. So if the conduit is contaminated, guess what happens when it comes out on the other side? I remember, and I hope I didn't share this before, but I remember one time I was putting, uh, you know, I had funnels, uh, and I was putting a, uh, uh, putting uh, oil in my car. So I put the oil in my car, and, you know, and I always would fill the oil with car, because it's one of them cars that the oil didn't stay in. So you had to constantly put, you know, oil in the car. And then one day my windshield fluid went out. And so I had to put some windshield fluid in there. I started spilling it everywhere trying to pour it in the jug. You ever notice that the amount in the jug is never the same amount? Like you use the whole jug up and you still need another half a jug to be able to fill it up. I don't know who designed that, but if you have anything to do with that, tell them that it ought to be a gallon jug for a gallon jug. Okay, now. But anyway, that was a commercial. So, so here I am, I'm trying to pour it, pour it in. I'm spilling it all over the place. So what I do is I grab the funnel and then I pour the stuff in there. Now, the problem is I'm looking in the container, the, the reservoir, and... There, and it's spotty, and it's starting, dark stuff starting to come in there, and it started to look strange. So I held the jar up to see whether the stuff that was in the jar was pure, and it was. And I looked down to see if the container was clean, and it was. So I started pouring again, and the black stuff started coming in there. And I realized that the funnel was the problem. So the reason why the bad stuff was in the reservoir it's not because there was bad stuff in the jug. It's because the conduit that's supposed to get what's in the jug to the reservoir was contaminated. And so, therefore, its own stuff started getting mixed in. So what the jug, what was supposed to be in the jug got messed up. Here's the deal. God's not pouring directly into the world. He's pouring through us. And if we're contaminated with our own stuff, guess what happens? We contaminate the world. The reason why the world can't get pure is not because of the condition of the world. It is because God's stuff can't get to it without being contaminated by the funnel. And so what God wants me to do is he wants me to always have this perspective, this evangelistic perspective, and it ought to demonstrate and reflect God's truth in everything that I do. When we were younger, uh, me and my brothers, you know, we fought, just kind of general, you know, GP. Just, we just fought all the time. Uh, and so we were, and we would start off, we wrestling, we horse playing and all this kind of stuff. And then somebody would hit somebody the wrong way, and the next thing you know, uh, we're fighting. And so sometimes when we get it loud and everything else, mama would come to the door. She didn't say nothing. She would come and stand in the door. She was near. 
when she was near, our behavior started to change because we recognized that she was near, she was present. Now, I know that when you say near, God is coming soon. Yeah, my mom and them been saying that since I was little. My family, my grandparents said that. So he's coming soon. Soon is very uh, relative. You know, if you're ready for him to come, come on. Jesus. Like when I was little, my mom would say, Lord, come quickly. I'd be like, no, no. I want to live a little longer for the Lord come. Now I'll be saying, Lord, come quickly. And my grandkids be like, what? You, you know, it's because, you know, so it's relative. But here's the deal. The presence of God is not. It's always. God is always near. And sometimes we act like we don't see him standing in the door. But you know what happened? Mama stood in the door so often that it not only changed our behavior while we knew she was there, but the presence, her presence was always there after a while. And we begin to change our behavior to act like she's always there. Now, let me tell you something. We, in this pandemic, everybody I know, was thinking about dying. They were trying not to die. They were arguing about whether you were going to die. They were talking about how many people died and how many people didn't die. And there was all kinds of stuff about death or whatever. And so every time somebody came up to me, I had to think evangelistically. I came up and said, you know, I don't know people dying. I don't know what's right about that. But here's what's important. What happens after you die? Have you planned for your eternity? I don't care what the political persuasion was, what the argument was, or everything else. There's one message that God has given us to give the world. And the most evangelical right time was 2020. And most of us were arguing about stuff that has nothing to do with what's important to God. Y'all follow me? Or am I meddling? You know, you know what Ephesians 4 and 29 says with reference to this gentleness to everybody? It says, and, and I'm, I'm not quoting it directly, but I'll just give you my summary of it. It says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Quit cussing people out and doing all that kind of stuff. Whether it's Facebook or whatever the case may be. And some people cuss people out nicely because they don't use cuss words, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so he says, he says, I want you to stop doing all of that stuff. He says, and let all your communication offer grace to the hearers. They want, to get, they want to get the fluid directly from God, but they got to get it through you, but they just don't want your contamination on it. That's what he said. They ought to be getting grace, not because you have grace. They ought to be getting grace because you're the vehicle through which grace comes from in a, in a dying world. So, so, so if I'm rejoicing in his lordship, I am following his lead as it relates to how I relate to everybody else. His lordship. Not, his, not, his, not him being the Christos. Not him being the savior. Because we, we can all rejoice in that on a regular basis. Well, at least I'm saved. Yeah, I, I get all that. Your behavior is, is conflicting, but, but I get that you're saved. But here's the deal. His lordship has to do with him telling me what to do. Here's the next thing. I must never lean on my own understanding. I borrowed this from somebody, so you, it might sound familiar. I must never lean on my understanding, but all of my ways, acknowledge God and let him direct my path. I must acknowledge him. And here's what it says. It says, do not be anxious for anything. Verse number six. He says, but in every situation, in every situation, in every situation, by prayer and petition 
with thanksgiving, with the right attitude, present your request to God, and he will give you everything you want. Did you want to say that? I wish it did say that, <laughs> but it doesn't say it. Doesn't say it. Verse number seven, he says, and the peace of God, which transcend all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's my heart and my mind that constantly mess me up. It's the stuff I believe in my mind that, it, that drives me to feel a certain way, that drives me to act a certain way. He says he'll guard those things from messing up your life. Only if you have this relational conversation and connection with him with regard to things that you're thinking about. Don't lean on your own understanding. Check with him. And he'll guide your path. He'll guard your, uh, uh, he'll guard your heart and he'll guide you along the way. Now, here's the deal. If it says it transcends my understanding, that means that I don't have to understand why or what or any of those kinds of things as long as I know he said it. When I'm riding my GPS, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm not a good submissive student to the GPS's guidelines all the time. Sometimes I think I know. So GPS says, turn right here. Now, my GPS is one of them fancy ones because it'll tell you when you got road construction ahead. So right when I put in it, it'll say there are some road construction limitations, and it's planning on trying to guide me around it. So I'll get in there, and uh, I'll be driving, and GPS says, turn at the next corner. And I don't turn. And it's patient, merciful, with full of grace. <laughs> and it says to me, recalculate it. <laughs> and so I just keep going. Then it says, make a U-turn at the next corner. But I don't want to make a U-turn because I think I know. So I keep on going. And it gracefully and mercifully said, recalculate. And then, now, I was watching this recalculation, feeling in control, feeling like I got freedom. I know where I'm going. I do what I want to do. And then I noticed that my estimated arrival time was changing every time it said recalculate. So the destination that I was trying to get to depended on how obedient I was to the guidelines I was getting. The lordship of the GPS was giving me directions. I wasn't following directions, and the consequences was I was bringing more hardship to myself. So what he says is, what I want you to do is don't get anxious because you feel lost. And don't get anxious because you don't know where you're going all the time. But instead, rejoice in him. And he'll protect you from your, if I can use this term, ignorance. And your inability to handle yourself emotionally. He'll, he will keep you from getting unraveled, unwired, and teed off. Just by following him. People say, well, I don't, I don't understand. You don't need to. I tell my wife, she said, well, I don't understand why you did that. And I say, you really don't need to. It's really not important because we're two different people. We probably would have did it a different way. So it's not important that you understand. And that's what God is saying. There's something. Now, here's another piece, and I just want to throw this in there. What you got to do is be careful from being too committed to algorithm circles. Algorithm circles. That means 
uh, algorithm is when you're constantly entertaining yourself with what entertains you until you become addicted with entertaining yourself. And so it just keeps coming back, and you're more attracted to what you already know. Well, that's a way to not grow. And what we have done in, in our political world, our racial world, and our cultural world, and all this kind of stuff is we have gotten sold on the fact that, you notice if you say something uh, uh, sometimes to your Siri, your Google will then put an advertisement about that. The algorithm, I'm constantly telling you one. They do the same thing politically. And so, therefore, you never learn anything new. You're basically rehashing what you already know uh, with the same group of people. He says, I'll guard you from that. Now, let me tell you the key, at least for me. The key for me to being able to pull that off is really found in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 3. And here's what it says. It says... For though we live in this world with all of his issues, with everything that's going on, he says we do not wage war as the world does. Our fight is not the same. Our fight is not the same racially. It's not, it's, it's not the same politically. It's not the same uh, when it comes to policies. It's not the same. Our fight is very different. How we attack these things is very different from the world, even though we're living in a world that does that. He says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, it's just the opposite. He says they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, this is where he got me. Because strongholds that need to be demolished, I'm thinking you got those strongholds. But a stronghold is a personal perspective of myself. That means that I've got caught so much into my own algorithm that I can't even hear anything else. And so I'm now in a stronghold, and he's saying, I need to stop fighting to get everybody else to join my stronghold and start looking at myself to find out what algorithm I'm stuck in. Then he says, here's what he will do. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And then we take captive every thought. I can't take your thoughts captive. I can only take my thoughts captive. And then he says, and I make that thought that I took captive obedient to Christ. In other words, what I need to do is remove move myself away from the algorithms so that I can begin to once again rejoice in the Lord always. He's now telling me, not me refeeding or regurgitating things that make me happy. Y'all follow me? It's interesting. It was so hard to get Israel to stop being Egyptian. Now, I want you to come out so y'all can praise me. It got to a point where he says, look, this generation ain't going to make it. We just got to get rid of them and start all over with a new crop because they were so deep into the algorithms of Egypt that they could never be who God wanted them to be. And he wanted to be their Lord. God wants this from us also. So we got to remove our strongholds, our cultural strongholds, all those things that keep us in that algorithm. Here's the other thing. My evaluations, number four, my evaluations, assessments, and opinions or judgments uh, must be based on God's biblical formula. God's biblical formula, and the guy had a lot of stuff down there. He says, finally, my brother, 
whatsoever things are true or noble or uh, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, uh, whatever is admirable, he says, uh, if there's any excellence or praise, think about these things. Now, I'm not going to go over that whole list, but here's what I do. He says, when I have something that I think is good or something that I'm willing to praise, he says, it ought to fit this criteria. Amen. But some things I think are good or praise and they don't fit this criteria. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's when I eat and what I eat. Like fast food, it's not always good. Sometimes it's not even always true. <laughs> it's definitely not noble. noble. I mean, I had to make a bunch of adjustments in just how I filter through the decision of what I will eat. If I expand that out into this dynamic of my entire life, it's a huge perspective. Like what I post on Facebook has to be filtered through this. What I read on Twitter, what I watch. The world loves the bad boy. You notice that? Like uh, Denzel Washington, who's to me one of the greatest actors around, he, uh, I don't think he ever got a, uh, whatever that award is, until he played a criminal. Played a criminal. Ah, he's the best actor that ever existed. That's what the world is feeding us. And if we don't have a standard through which we evaluate what's good, we're going to become a part of that also. Let me hit you with the last one because my time is, is up. I must be very cognitive about what convoy I am in. Who am I following? Here's what he says. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And then, and he says, and as a result of that, the God of peace will be with you. You want to hear, if you want this GPS to work, you're going to put in practice some specific things. I remember when we used to take trips down the back and forth Arkansas. You know, when I was uh, young, I, uh, I left home at 15. You know, some bad things happened. Like my, my stepdad used to, used to lock me in a box, this little scout box that I made, and he would leave me in there for like two or three hours, and I would be in there. And uh, he would tie, chain me up down the basement by the place where all the boys used to urine when, when the bathroom was locked up. I mean, just, just sinister things just on a regular basis. And, and so I had a lot of anger and all this kind of stuff. And so whatever was angry out there was attractive to me, you know. Like if people were mad and angry, ready to fight, yeah, I'm joining them, I'm joining them. So you know, I joined gangs, I did all this kind of stuff, or whatever the case matters. And I didn't realize that I had shifted convoys. I was following a group that I really didn't need a group. But some of you might not have had that experience. But I remember even also when we used to drive down to Arkansas. So I used to, I left at 15, I used to come back home uh, because I drove whenever we went down to Arkansas two or three times a year. So I would drive, and sometimes I'd be driving, everybody falling asleep. But it would be three or four cars driving. Back in the day, we didn't have GPS, and most of us were not committed to a map. And so, therefore, we'd have the car in front of us that you're following. So I'm following the car in front of me. And on more than one occasion, but I remember particularly one time, I'm following the car. It's late at night. We're driving. We're going through, uh, you, know, this, you know, going through the Ozarks, headed down to Arkansas. We're going through this stuff, and I'm driving. And... Um, and then, so I started, you know, I'm driving, I'm realizing, okay, 
the person who I'm supposed to be following is supposed to be considerate while I'm following them, but this person is starting to drive crazy. They get another lane, I get another lane. I'm following them everywhere I go. I'm just, I'm standing, no, you ain't getting away from me. I mean, I mean, you know, you ain't gonna leave me out here. So I'm following, I'm going through all this kind of Then the car pulled off the ramp. I pulled off the ramp with him. He pulled over into the gas station. When we pulled over in the gas station. I pulled up and I realized I was following the wrong car. <laughs> this guy's probably running from me and I'm chasing him down on the street. And I'm following the wrong car. Somehow or another, I switched. I wasn't paying attention to who I was supposed to be following. And all the lights looked the same in a dark environment. And so now, all of a sudden, I am lost out here with someone who is leading me down a pathway that is not, the, not according to, to the God I'm supposed to be rejoicing in. Here's the deal. Right now, the world is so dark and so divided and so mixed up that all the lights are going to start looking the same. And if you're not very cognitive about, listen, I need to know exactly, I need to know Jesus' license plate, I need to know the backers of the car, I need to know what the bumper looked like, I need to know everything about it, because any moment you could end up following the wrong thing, and you won't find out until you're way, way off route. And so my suggestion is get in focus and be where God has called us to be. Like right now, we, we are in one of the greatest, I think in my generation, political divides and one of the greatest racial divides that I've seen and the greatest hostility toward one another as Americans that I've ever seen. And it's interesting that, that when the world starts looking for what to follow, what convoy to join, it can't find the church. Because the church is all got out of, we got out of our own convoy, and now we're just as divided racially. We're just divided. I mean, we're just in the same way as them. So they're just roaming around just trying to pick a lane. Because there's nobody who has that banner that, in it, that illustrates that we are rejoicing in the Lordship of Christ. Always. Let me say this in closing. I said that like two or three times now, but this time really. As, as a fan of basketball, fan of sports, one of the teams I loved the best watching when I was growing up was uh, the Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls, amazing team, all this kind of stuff. But here's what you'll notice. There are three people on the team that, had they not been on the team together, would never have met each other, would not have hung out if they did meet each other, and probably would have been vast enemies. And that is Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, Lord help him and Scottie Pippen. Those three guys became champions together six times. Now, Dennis Rodman still dressed crazy, and Scottie Pippen still had an interesting attitude, and Jordan had a particular arrogance. Some of that never really changed. But there was only one reason why, two reasons why they continued to win. One of them was Phil Jackson. They had a coach that said, I don't care what you do individually. You're on this team, and collectively, y'all brothers. And the second one is they kept the main thing the main thing. Winning championships came very much important, very much more important than me not liking the outfit that you wear, the dress that Dennis was wearing. Or the fact that you stay in your room all the time. Or the fact that you get all the news uh, media. Or, or any of those kind of things. None of that stuff ever got in the way of the main thing. 
We have a better coach. We just got to rejoice in his lordship always. And we have a better main thing. Because a ring only lasts so long. Championship lasts one year. Our evangelical mission lasts for eternity. Who got saved because you were a Christian in the middle of a pandemic? Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much that you give us guidance and direction to be the best we can be for you. We also are very, very grateful that you've given us a main thing that is the real main thing. So bless us as we seek your will in all that we do, and we will rejoice in the Lord always. Amen.